Good evening, Praxis. I'm so thankful that I was asked to speak on the topic of relating to friends and family as adults. Uh, not because I'm an expert on relationships or an expert on being an adult, but really because this is probably what I value most here at Lighthouse, just genuine relationships that show me Christ through their consistency, candor, and carefulness in my life. And the main resource and the only compass I really have for these friendships is the love of God. So that's what we're going to look at tonight mainly. We're going to see how God's love informs and directs our steps within our relationships, whether that's with family or with friends, but especially as it works as we're adults. Now, I'll mostly talk about friendship because it will apply to family members that you would consider your friends, but toward the end, I'll give specific application on interacting with family members. Now, I'm aware that there could be many here who wouldn't be able to say that they have relationships close enough to truly call friends. Many of us have grown up in families and lived inside communities that would call intentional relationships between friends and family unimportant. Maybe where you're from, a guy who talks with a friend about his emotions has to give up his man cards. Or for women, maybe perhaps friendships have been a place of just too much pain. You've been betrayed, hurt, and now you have these fears of being vulnerable again. Perhaps all of us feel just too busy to create space for meaningful relationships, and COVID seems like the perfect excuse to not deepen relationships in this season. Well, to start, I just want to ask you a simple question. Who knows you? Do you have any 100% relationships? Someone who knows every category of struggle in your life and is familiar with the specific ways your heart works. They might not know every battle, but they know every, every battlefield in your life. They could tell you what your idols are. They know what the battlefields often look like. They pray for you. We intuitively know to be careful about sharing the specific details of our lives with certain people. We stick to broad categories until a relationship reaches a place where we do feel able to give a higher level of clearance. And they just keep growing until the most personal and fragile details of life where we feel the most shame are shared. But if we're honest with ourselves, very few of us have those friendships, keep up those friendships. And one simple reason is it's dangerous. There is risk involved. We don't just talk about our past abuse or our sexual brokenness with anyone. We don't even talk about our relationship with Christ with just anyone. But God's love gives us this hope to have friendships where we don't need to fear sharing our lives. God's love changes the reason we share our lives with each other. It changes the words we choose. It gives us hope for each conversation and it gives us a view of people that allows us to love like Christ. So the way I'd like to come at discussing relating to friends and family tonight is by examining how God's love shapes our love and how his love builds trust into our relationships. Then we'll close with just two common questions about relating with family and friends as adults. So first, God's love must shape our love. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Now consider for a moment. How do you understand God's love toward you? How do you daily experience it? According to 1 John 4.19, I must clearly experience and understand God's love for me if I am to truly love others. 
You see, according to this verse, God insists that we must learn to love by being loved by him. How would you describe God's relationship with you? Forgiving, patient, hope-filled, restoring, compassionate, honest, faithful, merciful, willing to go to the hard places and stay with you? Is that how others would describe their relationship with you? You can only love out of the depth of your own understanding of God's love. So how do you see God's love? Is his love tangible, recognizable? And when you taste food or hear laughter, listen to a friend share their life with you, does it fill you with a sense that God's love is present, rich, and practical in your life? If you think God is a deity who sits in heaven vaguely interested in your life, who keeps himself pretty detached and aloof, you will love similarly. If you believe that Jesus was sent to do something historically and that he will do more for you in eternity, but his present activities are just shrouded in mystery, then you will love with a puny, impoverished view of God's love that will feel irrelevant to the daily relationship opportunities you have. So look at your relationships. Do you look forward to your meetings with people, even with the added difficulty of Zoom fatigue? Do you keep your distance from people and use the coronavirus as a reason not to connect? Do you avoid deeper understanding of those that you know you have an opportunity to love? If you do not feel the immense love of God surrounding you, defining you, carrying you, then it will be impossible for you to love like him. So the first priority in learning to love well is to be sure that our daily enjoyment of our Father's love is real, is vibrant, and is relevant. So that God's love is reflected in our relationships with friends and family. So next, how do you see God's love for you? I should say, how should you see God's love for you? How should you see God's love for you? The Hebrew word for God's faithful, promise-filled, covenant love is hesed. Paul Miller says that hesed combines commitment with sacrifice. It is one-way love, love without an exit strategy. When you love with hesed love, you bind yourself to the object of your love, no matter what the response is. So, if the object of your love snaps at you, argues with you, is in a bad mood, you still love them. Hesed is the opposite of the spirit of our age, which says we have to act on our feelings. Now, it says we don't act on our feelings, we act on our commitments that displays the faithful, committed love we have received from God. And our commitments last because God's love for us does not come to an end. Or we love because he loves us. We keep loving because God continues loving us. Why is Hesed love important? Because sins and sufferings come and go. Hopes rise and fall. Pressure goes up and down. Emotions and feelings can change in seconds. But words and actions of commitment reveal a solid relationship foundation that goes down for miles and miles into the depth of God's love for you. If that is your love for your family and friends, you will be giving them hope. Hope that your love isn't going to change. Hope that your love is founded on Christ. For example, if a friend lashes out in anger while you're meeting for coffee over Skype and you text them later saying, when can we meet up again? That, that's Hesed love. You keep moving toward. So what do people see when they look at your life? When they see your relationships? When they see your response to difficulty? 
Remember that the most important encounter that a friend or family member has with you is, is not just their encounter with you, but their encounter with Christ. So we must ask, does my life incarnate the love of Christ? Does my life incarnate the love of Christ? Your relationship with Jesus will overflow into your daily life, whether you're conscious of it or not. Here are some simple questions to help you evaluate your relationship with Christ and if it's in the overflow of your daily life. How are your spiritual disciplines? Are they personal times? Do you enjoy God? Are you able to communicate the gospel personally? Are you growing in your battle with sin? Can you identify sin in your life? And do you ask for help? Are you growing in the way you turn to Jesus in the midst of suffering and hardship? The maturity of your love for family and friends will come out of all of those things. All these things will help you lean into the love of God so that you will have his rich, mature love for your friends and family. When gospel love disappears, all your relating to friends and family becomes a clanging gong and a banging cymbal. According to 1 Corinthians 13, without God's love first shaping and molding us, these relationships will profit nothing. But as we become conduits of his love, there are so many ways our relationships will be used by God to build his kingdom. So first, God's love must shape our love. Second, his love must build trust into our relationships. God's love must build trust into our relationships. And we'll first look at that by seeing how we build trust by modeling Christ from Galatians 6, 1 and 2. So for this section, turn to Galatians 6, and let's look at how we build trust by modeling Christ. What is the first issue in every friendship conversation? Either consciously or unconsciously, every person who sits down to talk with someone is always asking, why should I trust you? Maybe you're thinking that about me right now. Are you giving me a good reason to trust you? Do I trust you enough to share blank? The unique aspect of friendship actually in the church is that you will talk to people who have already decided to trust you because of the context, right? You're a Christian. You're in my church. You're in my small group. So they will be honest about things that are delicate, grave sins, deep fears, heartbreak, disappointment, fragile aspirations, underlying confusions. How you respond to that honesty will either grow or devastate their trust. Look at how Galatians 6, 1 and 2 helps us cultivate trust. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Scripture does not often speak directly to trusting people or cultivating trust in relationships between people. As much as we use it, trust is not a common word for human relationships in the Bible. Yet it is everywhere when it comes to our relationship with God. Therefore, it makes sense that what cultivates trust in our relationships is how we demonstrate Christ to each other. And Galatians 6, 1 and 2 is a beautiful picture of this trust in loving those struggling with sin. But I think it can be applied to cultivating a relationship of trust in any season. Well, let's look carefully at these statements and see if they define how we tend to relate. So verse 1 says, you who are spiritual. So am I in a healthy place with God so that I can clearly articulate his redemptive love to someone in need? Verse 1 also says, restore. 
Do I have this redemptive goal? Is my aim to just convince them to change their behavior? Or do I long to walk with them and see them draw near to God and rebuild broken relationships? Verse 1 also says to do it in a spirit of gentleness. So what is the manner of how I approach this person in need? It cannot be done in a spirit of productivity or efficiency. I must be careful with the fragile details of this person's life, the tender topics they're sharing. Things might not look like they're moving, um, they're moving slow, but I need to not rush. Gentleness disarms, and it takes time to see their suffering, to show that I want to love them with the love I've received. Verse 1 also says, keep watch lest you also be tempted. So have you evaluated the temptations that are approaching you in the situation? Are you tempted toward anger, impatience, indifference, tempted toward pride or self-righteousness? Are you tempted to join them in their sins that they're struggling with? Verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. Now this illustration speaks to where we stand when we care for our friends and family. And this also demonstrates Christ and builds trust. As your friend, I stand at your side with you. Have you ever moved uh, from one place to another, like an apartment or something, and had people from church volunteer to help? Right? There are the people who come early and bring donuts and water bottles with a back brace on and closed-toed shoes, and you know they are ready to lift your heavy, delicate items. And then a few hours later, there's the people who roll in with flip-flops and no back brace. Who are you going to trust to carry your heavy items? The only way we build trust in relationships is to reflect the God that we trust. That builds an environment of comfort, safety, for them to personally engage with you about anything without the fear of being shamed or injured. That is the trust we all want to feel in our relationships. We also build trust by cultivating direction toward Christ. We build trust by cultivating direction in our relationships toward Christ. The friendships we have are there to build a collaborative partnership that moves toward Christ. God is the one who brought us together. He is the one knitting our hearts together in love, and he is the one we seek together. You see this in verses like Colossians 2, 2, and Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. They make it clear that helping one another run toward Christ is the purpose of our relationships. So take a second and write down your two closest relationships. Who do you spend the most time with? Who do you always make time for? Now, write down the names of two people who point you to Christ the most and help you love him the best. What we need most in our lives are relationships with friends and family that help us grow to love Christ more and seek his kingdom. One incredibly mature way we can relate to one another is to to stop and celebrate all that God has done in our relationships to help us draw near to him. And then ask that friend for honest feedback to think through how you can encourage them more in their pursuit of Christ. In any relationship, friend, family member, I want to hear feedback. And I might notice that there are subtle and not so subtle ways I might be shaming them or hurting them, not carrying their burdens well, right? Am I too quick to speak? Is my solution focused rather than person focused when I address a problem? Am I assuming the worst of them? Am I giving sarcastic remarks? Over the years, I've made all these mistakes and more with my wife, my friends, my family. Yet God has graciously helped me grow, largely because of the honesty of friends giving me feedback. 
We also build trust in our relationships as we evaluate our personal engagement. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we build relationships of trust as we evaluate our personal engagement. How can you personally engage in a way that displays the mind of Christ? In a way that says, you are more significant than me. Well, here are a few practical suggestions. First, ask open-ended questions. We're trying to see a person, to locate them within a greater story. So how, how can we come alongside them to see them? We need a picture, uh, the big picture, and that takes words. I need more words from them to understand them. So questions like this, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? What are some of the things you're hoping for in this? What questions are you wrestling with in the midst of this? What has helped you seek Christ through this? When did this start? Can you remember a time when it wasn't like this? What kinds of things come to your mind when we talk about these things or think about these things? What are you afraid of in the midst of this? What have you found frustrating? What have you found hope in as you've thought through this? What kinds of things can eat away at your hopes? And then as you listen, scan three areas. What do you normally hear in a conversation? Are you wanting to know more about this person? So I, I would suggest scanning for three areas. First, listen for the good. This person you're with reflects God in some way. So can you see the work of the Spirit? Can you see the image of God being born in their life? Before we go looking at their sin, are we on the lookout for grace? In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul starts his letter with thankfulness for the testimony of the Corinthians that Christ is seen among them, though they are still entrenched in great sin. Second, listen for the hard. The person you're with suffers. Can you pick up on the troubles they're facing? Do you know how to love those who suffer? Do you feel like you have to give them an answer? Do you feel compelled to give advice? Or can you sit with them? Can you carefully walk with them, weep with them? Third, listen for the bad. The person is a sinner, like you. What do you do when someone confesses sin to you? Can you say, I'm blessed that you would tell me this? Now, how can we move forward together? How can I walk with you through this? Do we say there's so much grace available to us? All of these areas of listening are ways we scan for opportunities to love within our relationships. As believers, we relate with each other on these three levels, saint, sufferer, and sinner. This way of listening should help you connect and be personal because you see yourself a person who reflects Christ, but who is weak and is a sinner. Finally, pray for them. This is the clearest step you can take to move a relationship in a direction toward Christ. In praying for someone, you are connecting your understanding of a person's life with your understanding of God. You are showing that you listened and that you want to frame your understanding of them with the boundless hope that is theirs in Christ Jesus. So please pray for each other. Regularly pray for those God has placed in your life. Well, since the title of tonight's sermon is on relating to friends and family as adults, I wanted to include some practical suggestions for personal engagement in relationships. So here are some thoughts. First, 
consider how your friend experiences their time with you. What do they see when they're with you? What facial expressions do you show? Do you avoid eye contact? Body language, right? Do you, do you fidget when you talk? Do you kind of flick your nose, scratch your head a lot, scratch your neck or your beard, right? Do you avoid eye contact? What do they hear when they're with you? What is your vocal tone communicating? What is your speech rate? Do you speak too loud or too soft or too much, too fast? One personal struggle for me is trying to read silence. I can't tell if someone is kind of hoping that I'm going to start talking or hoping that I'm not going to say anything so that they can finish thinking about our conversation. So move slowly. I could simply ask them a question to see how they're thinking through something, but I could easily miss that. Am I silent when words are needed? For example, if someone's crying, do I just sit on as a spectator or do I move toward them, offer an encouragement? Verbal tracking and reflective listening is also important. Am I tracking with what they're saying? Am I repeating what I'm hearing? Some common pitfalls that happen when we relate is we don't use any verbal encouragers when we're listening, right? We're just passive and detached. So it's good to say things like, yes, or uh-huh, I hear you. Thank you for sharing. Have you seen people do that? Um, or maybe nodding too much. You know, there's people who just nod at everything. Like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah and can kind of communicate that I'm in a hurry or I want this conversation to get moving in a certain direction. Maybe making your face too animated, maybe having closed body language where you're crossing your arms and legs, leaning away. Maybe sitting too relaxed can communicate that you're not taking what your friend or family member is, is saying seriously. Maybe staring too much. Um, maybe matching your friend's face rather than their content. Maybe they're trying to lighten the mood by sharing something tragic but putting a smile on their face? Can you, can you help them see the seriousness of the burden that they're facing? We need to be aware of moments where there is a, maybe a mismatch between what someone is showing or sharing and how they are sharing it. Finally, I want to close our time tonight by looking at some frequently asked questions when it comes to this specific topic. One is, how do I think through boundaries in relationships? Now, the word boundaries can feel like a loaded term, and it really is. I don't particularly love it and because it can seem to define a relationship in terms of the negative rather than the positive. It also seems to communicate that self-protection is a greater good than self-sacrifice. But With that in mind, I think we need boundaries in a certain sense in relationships. We need to understand the scope of what God is calling us to in each relationship with friends and family and what he is not requiring of us. Each relationship is a stewardship and we are all finite when it comes to being faithful stewards. So while we seek to humbly love whoever God places in our path, we are also called to be proactive and strategic in how we move uh, into and out of relationships with our time. We must spend quality time in mutually upbuilding relationships because we know we need to be sharpened. But we also want to reach out and love those who are difficult to love so that Christ's love can be on display on a regular basis. A second question is, how do I honor my parents as an adult? Now this is challenging because I do not know you personally or how your parents sinned against you or how perhaps they are still sinning against you. But please know that God does not call you to put your safety and health in jeopardy in order to love. We regularly walk with those suffering in abusive relationships or who have suffered through the oppression of 
parents through childhood. If this is you, you know all too well the feeling of being controlled by fear and guilt, the hopelessness of being at the mercy of someone else's power over you. So as I talk about honoring your parents, it must be in the pursuit of Christ's kingdom to pursue his way of loving, not to become someone else's punching bag. Sometimes the greatest way to honor a parent is to stand up to oppression. But generally to honor a parent as an adult, I would base my definition of honor on Philippians 2, 3, the, the mind of Christ passage we saw earlier. Right? It, honor says, I want to learn from you. I want to pursue your highest good. I want to put your interests above my own. So with that definition of honor, there are some implications for adult parents. One way we can honor them is we seek their wisdom. Proverbs 20:19 reminds us that there will always be things that they know that we don't. Second, we financially support them. Mark 7 shows Jesus harshly rebuking the Pharisees for their refusal to care for their own parents. And third, we communicate with our parents. Psalm 71.9 shows David's fear of being cast off from the Lord in his old age. And I think it can speak to a greater fear of being old and isolated. So one vital way we honor them is through communicating and not neglecting them. Finally, I want to close by simply reading 1 Timothy 1.5. Paul writes here that the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure conscience and a, a pure faith, a good conscience and a sincere faith. The love of God must define how we approach every single person, from your Uber driver, to your family, to your closest friends. And I pray that as we go from here, the relationships represented in your homes and in your communities would flourish, and that our church would grow more mature, and that the gospel would be proclaimed because our lives and relationships have been saved, molded, and guided by the love of Christ for his glory, so that we maximize the joy available to us in our relationships with friends and family here at Lighthouse and in our community. Let me pray for us. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. It truly is our lamp that guides our footsteps. It is a light to our paths and it directs all of us, not only individually, but together to run together toward you, the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I thank you for just this time that we have gotten to spend to, to just briefly see how we can love as we have been loved in the different dynamics that come with friends and family. Lord, thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.